Hey, this is John Morgan. I'm the lead pastor here at Word of Life Church in the nation's capital. I want to personally thank you for taking time out to listen to our podcast today. It's our prayer that you're inspired and that your life is changed for the better while listening. So go ahead, enjoy today's message. Matthew chapter 16 is where we've been in this series, Chasing the Acorn. And we've been looking at verse 24 to 26, working our way through this uh, passage over the last couple of weekends. And it says this in verse 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you that it's alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword able to get into our life and penetrate and bring supernatural change from the inside out and make us different, make us better, make us more like you. Conform us to your word and not our own will. I pray for the men and women that are in this room. I pray for those that are watching online. And I pray, Holy Spirit, for myself, work with us today. Let there be a prophetic edge on this message that speaks into the fabric of every believer. Let this word, Lord God, impact them personally. Let them have ears to hear, Holy Spirit, what you're saying to them and to your church is our prayer. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. So I was talking with somebody the other day, I was giving an illustration, and I said, you know what it's like when, when you're in your car and you wind, you wind your window down, when you wind your window down in your car? And as I gave that signal, I thought, this is a pretty redundant signal, because so I'm not sure about you, but I haven't wound the window down in my car for probably the last 30 years. It's a little bit like somebody saying, oh, give me a call. Give me a call. Like, you don't use a hand. We, give me a call. This is give me a call. Like, that, that, that's redundant. This is probably, it's a little bit like this one. Winding up the cassette tape to get some more music on that. Remember the pencil? Anybody remember the pencil in the cassette tape? It's all spun out in your cassette recorder. Children that are here, this is archaeology we're talking about. The people that put their hand up, yes, I remember, fossils. And so these these things are fairly redundant, but I'm not really sure if there's anything more redundant in 2022 than that rock band that put Peru on the map worldwide. You know that famous rock band, Dora and the Explorers? With their hit single... It's the map. The words reading, if there's a place you got to go, I'm the one you need to know. I'm the map. I'm the map. I'm the map. If there's a place you got to get, I can get you there, I bet. I'm the map. 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 
I'm, a lot of creative energy went into this song. You know the hours of brainstorming. I haven't finished yet. I'm the map. 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 That's a bunch of maps. That's a whole heap of maps. And i got to be honest, I cannot remember the last time I got in my car and opened a map. I, did, I don't know when I got a map out of my backpack. Now, I'm terrified to say, hey, Siri, because a whole heap of cell phones are going to go off right at this time. But, you know, it's like you get in your car and you ask the, for guidance. You're not using a map. We live in a society that does a lot of stuff for us. Like, you don't have to do a lot. Have you, I don't, have you been to a public restroom? You just sort of walk in, everything happens for you. Toilet flushes for you, you get out to the sink, water comes on for you, soap comes on for you, the, the dryer comes on for you, the door opens up. We live in a pretty automated society where everything is done for us. And so when we read this scripture, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself take up his cross and follow me. This scripture, this, this challenge that we get from Jesus seems totally counterculture for a generation that's been raised up to have everything done for them, where we have become the center of our own universe. It seems counterculture, definitely counterculture to our flesh that does not like to be told no. Is there anybody that's like that? You don't like to be told no? You go to the customer service and you ask them to do you something and they're like, no. And then immediately you get out. Is there anybody like that? Am I the only person? I'm the only one? I hate no. I hate going to United Airlines, you know, desk for a flight and they ask them something and they're like, no. I'm like, what? I don't want customer service. I want customer solutions. My flesh, I've got better. My flesh used to go from zero to 60 with angry, like, no, what? Like, but, but now I've, I'm saved and stuff. <laughs> My flesh is still in there going, but I'm on the outside being all calm Jesus. Not trying to go Jesus, throwing the tables over Jesus, but the other one. Uh, and it was counterculture to the disciples. This is not how they were thinking. And then Jesus adds to this to give, make the the point come home. He says, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and he forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? What is it if you get everything your flesh wants and then discover that the nature of what you got from what you want actually destroys your life. What is it if you gain the whole world and you lose your soul? If you're passionate about something and then you get it and you're like, I, I don't really know if I want it. I remember when I was 11, for some reason, don't understand this, have no logical reason, makes absolutely zero sense to me, but I remember being 11, we were actually in Adelaide, South Australia with my parents at Christmas time, I remember it vividly, and bugging my mum when we were out shopping for groceries that I wanted a, a box of muesli for breakfast. I had never eaten muesli 
before in my life for breakfast. Maybe I thought the word muesli was Hebrew for candy. I don't know. I was 11, but I remember, like, I want it, I want it, I want it. And mum's like, you don't want me. I want music. I want, and, and my mum, which is very unusual, relented and got me the box of music. Maybe not that unusual because she knew what the music would taste like. And I'll never forget it. I was at my sister's house. My mum poured me the big bowl of muesli. I was so excited. I got the spoon. I shoved a big spoonful of muesli in my mouth. And my taste buds said, not in here, bro. And I spat that out. I think that was the day I discovered I'm not a vegan. I'm not sure what I discovered on that day. But what is it if you finally get the acorn and then you discover that you have a nut allergy? We're all chasing something. Every one of us is in the pursuit of something. This is what Jesus was talking about. And so we've been talking a little bit about that over the last couple of weeks about redefining the chase. First thing that we learn from this passage of scripture is that the chase is the chase of Christ. Matthew chapter 16 verse 24 says, and Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, if anyone would pursue me, If anyone would chase my presence, if anyone would chase after my glory, if anyone would chase after my word, if anyone would chase after my kingdom, if anyone would pursue after my grace, my my love, my mercy, and my righteousness, if anyone would come after me, there is a pursuit. Jesus is inviting us to go after me. If anyone would come after me, it's not the chasing, but it's who we're chasing that really matters. It's not the fact that we're just running, but Jesus is saying, if you're going to run, I want you to run after me. The thing I love about this passage that should encourage every one of us, that Jesus starts with, if anyone, if you, that that means if you would go after him, you'll get him. I love that. Anyone. It opens the door wide. It means if you need him, you're going to get him. And the good news about that is if you need him and you can get him, that means your spouse. If your spouse needs him, your spouse can get him. If your friends need him, they can get him. If your family needs him, they can get him. If your children need him, they can get him. If your boss needs him, he can get him or she can get him. Whoever needs him, if anyone would chase after him, they can have an encounter with Jesus. I don't know if there's anybody in the house that's grateful for the fact that you can pursue him and you can you can get him. The chase is also a chase of challenge. It says here Jesus told the disciples if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. These things are listed out as if you want to be a disciple. How, how do I know if I'm being a disciple? Then you know you're a disciple when you can deny yourself. Now, we talked about this last week. It's not hating yourself. It's not being down on yourself. It's not being negative about yourself. It's about denying your flesh. It's not about denying stuff. It's not about denying a meal or denying some television, or denying your phone. No, this is about denying you. This is, it says, if you really want to follow him, you've got to let yourself die. Paul put it this way in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. Like, I've died to me. Nevertheless, I live. But the life I now live in the flesh, 
I live by faith in him. In other words, there's been an exchange. I've died to John Morgan's agenda. I've died to John Morgan's way. I've, I've died to me and I've embraced Jesus with all my heart, all my mind, and all my soul. If you want him, you've got to deny yourself, and then you've got to embrace the cross. You've got to pick up the cross, and you've got to die daily. It's I'm picking up the cross, and the disciples knew exactly what the cross meant. It meant that I'm going to live a life of sacrifice. As a Christian, we're called to sacrifice for Jesus. We're called to sacrifice for each other. We're called to sacrifice for the kingdom of God. Today, we're being called to sacrifice for the children, to give them an opportunity. Every day, God is calling us to deny ourselves and to take up a life of sacrifice. Where he is greater than me. His will is greater than my will. His kingdom is greater than my kingdom. And then he says, embrace the cross and then pursue after him. I must decrease and Jesus must increase. That's not a hard thing to do when you look at your life and decide, I I don't like who I've become. I don't like who I am and I don't know don't know if I like who I'm becoming. And I think for many of us, that's what happened at salvation. We got to that point where we're like, you know what? I don't really like where I'm at right now. I might not understand everything about Jesus. I may not understand about everything about his kingdom, but I do understand everything about me. And I don't like what I see in the mirror and I need to change. And so denying myself, picking up the cross, embracing him is an easy response when you realize that his ways are better than your ways. His thoughts are higher than your thoughts. His plan for your life is better than your plan for your life. That God has a plan and a future and he loves you and he's passionate about you. He is for you and he is not against you. Just to encourage you, as we continue to go on in this message, that was a beautiful golf clap. But again, if that's all the energy you have, there's going to be a collision in about 40 minutes between you and your children. Just encouraging you to get a bit more excited about the things like Jesus loving you and stuff like that. Like it shouldn't be... We shouldn't need any pastor, anybody on the planet to encourage us. But I am telling you, it's okay because I I don't need the clap. I think Jesus appreciates it, but you're going to need the energy when you walk out the doors. Maybe some of you are conserving the energy. I never thought about that. Just thought about that. Maybe some of you are like, no, if I clap now, I'm going to walk out of the service exhausted. And my kids, so if that's your case, then you're good resting. That will be... That'll be, that'll be great. The chase is about the cost. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. We talked about that last week. If you spend your whole life trying to just gain you, if you're trying to be about you and my and my thing and my way, if you embrace this me culture and the whole world has got to rotate around you and your desires, or if you're ignoring other things and you're just pursuing after your own pleasure, the word here from Jesus says, listen, if you try to save your life, you're going to lose it because there is no reward that doesn't come with a cost. 
In the Bible, all throughout the Scripture, we talked about it last week. If you weren't here or you didn't watch it online, I would encourage you to go back and watch last week's message. I talked extensively on this biblical principle that many people don't see, and it's the principle of cost and reward. You'll be hard-pressed to find anywhere in the Scripture where God doesn't ask you to pay a cost that He doesn't give you a reciprocal reward. And you'll be hard-pressed anywhere in the Scripture to find where God gives you a reward where there wasn't a cost paid. They go hand in hand. You bring your tithe into the storehouse as a cost. God opens the floodgates of heaven and pours out for you such a blessing that you can't contain it. That's a reward. Then it says here, but if you lose your life for my sake, you will find it. So if you pay the cost, if you lose your life for the sake of Christ, then all of a sudden, you're going to find your life. If you lose your life for the sake of Christ, you're not losing anything. You're also discovering, man, God's got a plan. God's got a pathway. God's got some ideas about my life. His thoughts are greater than my thoughts. His ways are greater than my... When you lose your life to God, you discover this. Man, God loves me more than I loved me. When you lose your life to Jesus, you discover, man, God's plan for me is greater than my plan ever was for myself. Being a Christian now for just on 40 years, I would honestly say that 40 years ago, I didn't understand this. But what I've discovered as I've walked with Jesus, I spent a good portion of my life doing my own thing, my own way, at my own pace. And then I came to Christ on the 10th of October, and I said to Jesus, I need you in my life. I surrendered my life to him, and I discovered his purpose. And when I lost my life, I found his purpose. And when I found his purpose, I'm like, what was I ever thinking doing it my own way? I was crazy. I saw somebody the other day, we're talking about our testimony. And uh, his testimony pretty much was he was born saved. He came out of the womb, hands raised, worshiping God. Parents prayed over him, never known a day when he wasn't in church, never known a day when he wasn't walking with God, and so he doesn't really have this past like I have. And he said in his younger life, he was always like, oh, I need a testimony. I, I don't have a bad testimony. I can't be up on the stage like, oh, yeah, 20 years ago, oh, I was an axe murderer, but now I got saved. And people are like, whoo. Now, his testimony is that he discovered purpose at a young age. He denied himself at a young age. He discovered Jesus at a young age. And he's been living in the plan of God. I don't know if there's a greater testimony that you can have. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Living in the plan of God. Yeah. Some of you Christians don't seem to think that's a good thing. Living in the plan of God. Great opportunity to clap and respond right now. Some of you are like, oh, he's really needy today. Maybe he needed a hug before he started the service. (laughs) No, but you're going to need candy. Anything is worth anything usually costs something. You, 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 can't, you can't help it. So the chase then becomes a chase of commitment. Jesus goes on and explains, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and he forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in 
return for his soul. In other words, this, what is it if the price you pay for what you want is way higher than what it's worth? I don't think any of us enjoy getting ripped off. You ever bought something and then 10 minutes later found it cheaper somewhere else? How annoying is that? I was in Singapore late 90s and first time I've ever been to Singapore. And one of our friends, Paul DeYoung, had been there multiple times. He said, listen, when you go out shopping, don't ever buy the first thing at the first price that they give you because it's always going to come down. And he said, what you need to do is you need to go to a few different shops and try out the price and then you'll discover the real price. And uh, so me and my friend Mike Murphy decided, okay, we're going to go out. I'm not a great bargain hunter, but I thought I'd give it a go. No one knows me in Singapore. I'll bust out my great negotiating skills. And so we went to the first place, and what we're going to buy is a dictaphone. It's a little hand recorder with a little tiny tape in it that you speak into, and it records your voice like a miracle. We have it on our phone now, but you used to have to buy it separately. And so we went to this one store, and it started off at $120 for a dictaphone. And so we bargained this guy down, man. We crushed his soul in our bargaining skills. We got him down to $95. $95 for a dictaphone, and it came with three free tapes and batteries. I looked at Mike, and I was like, dude, we got this guy to drop his price $30. Like, we're gurus. We don't even need to go to another shop to test this out. We're like negotiating legends. No one gets a bargain like this. And so he agreed. He's like, these other guys are idiots and morons. Like, we know what we're doing. And so we gave the guy $95. And so as we're walking through the mall, Mike says, let's just go in this shop and see where they start at their price. I'm like, no, man, let's not do that just in case it's bad. And he's like, no, let's just go and test it out and see how smart we really are. And so we walked into the shop and the guy started his price at $90. And as we're walking out of the shop, he yells out, $80, $80, $80. And I'm like, oh, this is not good. And then we go to another shop, and the other guy started at $85. And I think he was going to throw in tapes, batteries, and his wife, the whole thing, for $85. An hour later, we walk past the shop, we purchase the first dictaphone out, and the guy's out there eating, you know, like Asian food and just smashed the first meal he'd had forever because his stupid tourist overpaid. I remember feeling so ripped off. This is sort of what Jesus is saying here. What is it if you gain the whole world and you lose your soul, the real you, your mind, your will, and your emotions? What is it if you get what you chased after, and after you got it, you realize that destroyed the way I think? It destroyed my desires, and it messed up my emotions. We, we, will, we will go after stuff in a very, very spectacular way. In the Ice Age movie, Scrat, the, the, the chasing the acorn, uh, become an add-on. It wasn't even originally a part of the Ice Age movie, but it becomes so popular that they put it in every Ice Age movie. And just recently, they, they posted a video where Scrat finally gets the acorn and is happy. I think we saw a little bit about that today. But to get that acorn, 
Scrat had to go through an onslaught of arrows in medieval times. He got his tail squashed by a boulder. He was shot from a cannon. He was dragged by a chariot. He was attacked by a lion. He gets hit by the Titanic and still chases the acorn. He is chased by raptors and is swallowed by a T-Rex. He's trapped in a disco. He faces a guillotine in the French Revolution. He gets hit by a wrecking ball and experiences a nuclear explosion. But he still pursues the acorn. He is a lot more committed to that acorn than some Christians are committed to chasing Jesus. Well, you said something that offended me. That's an impersonation of your friend. Jesus told us, he said, don't don't let the pursuit of stuff be greater than the pursuit of me. Get your priorities right. Now, here's a great thing about Jesus that I love. Cost and reward. Oh, you've got to keep that in perspective when you're reading your Bible. Because some people just go, you lay your life down, sacrifice, and expect to get nothing back. Well, that's all cost, but it's not Bible. It's cost and reward. So Jesus puts it like this. He says, don't chase stuff. Don't, don't pursue money and, and things and houses and boats. He says, like, like no, don't, don't chase that. He said, seek what? First, the kingdom of God and his righteousness and what? All these things will be added. He said, if you pursue stuff, I don't chase after stuff. You chase after whatever you want. If you want to chase after that, you want to work longer hours to get more stuff. You want to miss church to get more stuff. You want to not pray to get more stuff. You want to do all that. You want to save your money, not put it in the kingdom to get more stuff. He says, knock yourself out. I won't block you. Get all the stuff that you want, but don't expect me to chase it. Don't expect me to chase. If If you want to chase after that, there and just get the reward and don't pay a cost. I'm not chasing that. But if you chase after me and make my kingdom your number one priority, you pursue me with all your passion all your life. If you seek me first, then all that stuff will get added. It's cost and reward is how God flows. So it says, don't lose yourself. Don't sell yourself cheap. Don't sacrifice your life in the futile support of stuff. Why? Because you're more valuable than that. What is it if you gain the whole world and you lose your soul? God puts a great value on you. He says your soul, that is honestly the real you. Your mind, your will, and your emotions. Your soul is how you think, how you feel, what you want. That sits in this body called the flesh. And we know that our soul and our body can do two different things simultaneously. Like you can stand on the outside and be smiling at someone. Even your words can be like, you're awesome. I like you. And on the inside, your soul is like, you're a moron. Please get out of my airspace. can be different. We, we know that. Because the soul is the real you. And the soul is the arbitrator between the spirit and the flesh. You hear from heaven. You want your flesh to respond. And so your soul becomes the manager of that interaction. We are tripartite. We are a spirit being living inside a body and have a soul. 
And so what Jesus is saying here is you need to keep yourself healthy because if you just let your soul pursue stuff, but then you put your soul on the altar and it dies and you get everything you want, the price you paid for your soul was way too high than the stuff that you got in your pursuit. Genesis chapter 25 gives a great illustration of this. Verse 29 says this, Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. Esau said to Jacob, Let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. Therefore his name was called Eden, which means red. Jacob said, Sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Jacob gave Esau bread and red lentil stew. And he ate and he drank and he rose and he went his way. Thus, Esau despised his birthright. I, I, I want to encourage you, don't, don't sacrifice your soul on the altar of the flesh. It's amazing how our flesh can get involved, and our flesh can be louder than anything else. Our flesh can be louder than our intelligence. Our flesh can be louder than our ability to make the right decision. That our flesh can start screaming things, and it can just overwhelm everything else. Esau comes in from hunting. He is exhausted and his flesh is screaming. I am, I am tired. I, I am hungry and I need to eat and I need to eat now. If I don't eat now, I'm going to die. His flesh was screaming to him louder than his reality because he wasn't going to die. It's not like he'd been fasting for weeks or in a famine. He was missed a meal, but despite missing a meal, he comes in and his flesh says, you better eat it right now. In, in the pursuit of what we want, we can often lose a lot. See it all through the scriptures. Eve, come manzanas, and brought death into the world. For a glance at Sodom, Lot's wife became a pillar of salt. For a Babylonian garment and a wedge of gold, Achan forfeited his life. For the sake of a woman's caresses, Samson lost his hair, his strength, his sight, and everything. For a sake of some time with Bathsheba, David loses a year at communion with God and hands his name down with an ugly blot upon it forever. For a garden, Ahab committed murder. And for 30 pieces of silver, Judas sold out Jesus. What is it if the price you pay for what you want is way higher than what it was worth? So we go back to, you've got to deny yourself. You've got to take up your cross. You've got to follow him. Why is that important? Because if you can learn that habit, when the flesh rises up, you can look at your flesh and say, hey, bro, you're dead. Hey, buddy, you died. You died 20 years ago, 10 years ago, 40 years ago. You are dead. You are dead with Christ. So I'm not going to listen to you. I'm going to listen to the Spirit of God. Don't sacrifice your future on the altar of the instant. Like that whole desire, I want it now, I need it now, I got to have it now. 
we, we have a video, we don't, I'm not going to play it, but my grandson is like two and a bit, and my, my youngest daughter's taken him shopping, and she's walking through uh, the shopping center, and he wants everything, which is just music to my ears, because that's exactly what she was like. It's like, oh, the joy of the Lord has come upon me. I, I, remember, I remember taking her shopping. I want, I want, I want. We had 20 boxes of Lucky Charms in our cupboard. Because every time we went out, she wanted a box of Lucky Charms. And thankfully, his uh, taste for things has gone way up in price. He wants all Spider-Man stuff. And she's got him in this shopping cart, and he's like, this, 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 this. She finally puts it in, and then he gets it like a surprise. Like, what's that? Like, how did that get in here? Like, it's a surprise. So he's chasing after, pursuing after that. The, the, it's the altar of now. i got to have it now. I want it now. So just to finish off the story of my daughter, she does go around the shopping center, putting everything on back on the shelf, which is smart. I never learned that trick. But here's Esau. He comes in from the hunt. He's been out hunting. He throws a couple of deer on the bench. And he's exhausted. He's, he's, he's tired out. And he takes a look at, at Jacob. And he says to him, it's been a hard day's night. I've been working like a dog. It's been a hard day's night. I should be sleeping like a log. But when I get home to you and I smell that red lentil stew, everything will be all right. When I'm home, everything seems to be right. Now I'm home, give me the stew, and I'll give you my birthright. Right? Because it's been a... Some people read the Beatles version. Get back to the King James. His flesh has placed Esau in a very vulnerable position. Incredibly vulnerable position. He, he, he wants to sell his birthright. Esau is about to sell something he didn't earn. It came to him out of grace. But it was incredibly valuable. The birthright just didn't mean he's the firstborn. I have my firstborn here with me today. Shariah is my eldest daughter. She's my firstborn. But back in that day, if you were the firstborn, you had everything. You just didn't have the name or the right to say, I'm the first child. You had the inheritance. You had the blessing of God. It was like a lot of wealth. It, in, in his case, worth millions of dollars in today's standards. And for a bowl of red lentil stew, he was like... I'm willing to give you my birthright if you just give me that bowl of red. He's selling his birthright. I can't get my head for a bowl of red lentil. It wasn't beef bourguignon. It wasn't surf and turf. It, it, it wasn't even five guys burger or fries. It wasn't cigar what? It wasn't lamb ragu. It wasn't even a bowl of jollof. And I was going to mention a country that cooks great jollof. But I dare not put it in there to get the anger of all the Ghanaians in the house today. 
who was still a little bitter about Joloff Wars. But I made a decision that I am not even going to mention in my message Joloff Wars at all. Not even going to say it. It's not even there. For a bowl of, I love this, uh, uh, chili con carne. Because in Australia when I grew up, the only sort of Spanish dish anybody ever ate was chili con carne. And so anybody talk about some food, you want to go down to the Mexican restaurant, you want to go, get me some chili con carne. And then I started doing Duolingo and learning Spanish and found out that chili con carne is not that spectacular, it just means chili with meat. <laughs> and it's not even chili with meat. It's red lentil stew, no meat, just all lentils. He sold his soul, his birthright, for a vegan dish that you can get online from Vegans Are Us at $5. Some of you are going to Google that later just to check it out. <laughs> Jacob totally manipulated the situation because he knew that his brother was driven by the flesh. I encourage you, do not sacrifice your soul on the altar of emotion. If I just get it now, it's going to make me really happy. See, here's the thing about this passage that we could miss. The Bible says that Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. Rebecca loved Jacob. End of story. No reason. So we find out that all through Esau's life that he hunted and became a, the Bible calls it, skillful hunter to earn his father's love. In fact, when his dad was about to proclaim the blessing upon him, that should have just happened because it was his. His dad said, why don't you go out and hunt? Make me some of that stew that you make from the hunt that you have and let me eat it and then I'll bless you. So even the blessing that was rightfully his came with a work ethic. If you do these works, then you'll get this blessing. And so everything about Esau's life was trying to earn the love of his father, trying to earn the love of his dad. And so his emotions got sort of engulfed with this whole thing. I've got to earn it to be able to get it, to be able to deserve it. Now, Jacob, on the other hand, he was not in a perpetual state of earning anybody's love. His mum loved him, end of story. So he could do bad things, mum's going to love him. He's going to do good things, mum's going to love him. He could take a race, run first place, mum's going to love him. Last place, mum's going to love him. But Esau was in a perpetual state of works, and so he's trying to earn the blessing. And so his flesh is meshed with his emotions. I need to feel good about myself. I need to feel loved. And the only way I know how to feel loved is by earning the love. I think one of the greatest things that we can discover as a Christian is that we are saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast that you and I did nothing to get saved. It was the love of God. While we were sinners and away from God, God chased after us. That we are not Christians because of anything we do. We are Christians because of everything he's already done. Amen, amen. And that puts us in a position of rest. We are seated in heavenly places with Christ. Why? Because of the work that he done. You don't have to mix your emotions in this sort of desire to please God. He already loves you. 
So it says, let your flesh die. Crucify your flesh. Embrace the spirit and discover his love. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? What does God say? He says, listen, you can get everything. You can be the richest person on the planet. But your soul, your, your real you is far more valuable. You are valuable. You're not a nothing. You're not a nobody. You're not a reject. Now, you may need to get your soul healed. And the good thing about giving God our soul is allowing him to heal our mind. Romans 12 talks about that, to heal our emotions. If you've been broken, he wants to heal you. If you've been broken, he wants to mend you. He doesn't want you to go through your life with a broken soul, a destroyed soul. And he said, listen, whatever you chased before and you got it, maybe, maybe that was wealth. And now you're unbelievably wealthy and you don't need any money and you're riding high and just, you know, riches are just there. You're, you're, you're the wealthiest person in this building, but you lost your soul or you lost your children or you lost your family or you lost your way. They do say that, that uh, no one on their deathbed ever lies there thinking to themselves, man, I wish I'd worked at the office a little bit harder. So maybe you're the richest person here, but you lost your soul getting there. Then God says, I want to heal your soul. Maybe it wasn't wealth. Maybe it was drugs. Maybe it was alcohol. Maybe it was women. Maybe it was men. Maybe it, it was something else that you said, man, I put that as a priority. And I've chased that and I've got it. But in getting it, I've destroyed me. Yeah. In getting it, I'm, I'm messed up on the inside. The cool thing about God is he's the great God of restoration. If you've gained all you want, you've messed up your mind, he can restore you. Yeah, you can give him a clap. If you've gained all you want and you've messed up your desires, if you've messed up your emotions, he can heal you. Here's the difference. Look at, look at this. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and, and lentil stew. And he ate and he drank and he rose and he went on his way, and he despised his birthright. Give me the stew, or I'm going to die. Give it to me now, I'm not going to make it. Jacob's like, oh yeah, I value that birthright. So he gives him the stew, and he ate, and he drank, and he rose, which means he was resting. So he ate, and he drank, and he Rested and he rose and went his way. And when he went his way, he sold out his birthright. That, that's trying to get a flesh response to heal broken flesh. But in 1 Kings chapter 19, we talked about this just a couple of weeks ago. Verse 6, it says about Elijah, who was broken, who was suicidal. His mind, his will, and emotions were messed up. And so he was in a bad space. He's like, I'm not better than anybody else. I might as well just die here. So Elijah, like Esau, is in a bad space with his soul. And he looked, and behold, there was a head, a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate, 
and he drank and he lay down. Angel came a second time and touched him and said, Arise, eat, for the journey is great for you. So he ate and he drank and he arose. So just like Esau, he ate and he drank and he was resting and he arose. And then he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. Esau and Elijah are two broken men. Two broken men. Esau eats, drinks, nourishes his flesh. So his flesh can feel good, so he can feel good, not in the danger of death. And when he gets up, because he just fed his flesh, he despised his birthright and lost everything. Elijah has totaled his soul. His mind, his will, and his emotions are messed up. He sits under a broom tree. It's always important what covers you. It's important what music you listen to. It's important what people you speak to. It's important who you have around you. If you're broken, it's important what music you listen to. If you're broken, stop listening to something that you've been listening to. Maybe it's time to listen to some praise and worship and get some positive words in your head instead of songs that make you angry and songs that make you feel lost. It's important what covers you. Make sure you're in the house of God and not just attending on Sunday, but plugged into a connect group where you can do life with other people and they can pray with you and love on you the house of God and the family of God is great covering if you just plug into it so Elijah lays down rest he eats he drinks and then he goes in the strength of that spirit food for 40 days and comes into the presence of God follow your spirit or follow your flesh is always your choice if you follow your flesh then you'll end up laying it down and paying the price, and Jesus made it pretty clear. For what profit is it for you? If you gain everything that you want, and you forfeit your soul, what will you give in return for your soul? You are incredibly valuable. So if your soul is broken, Russell, you can come. If your soul's broken, if your emotions are messed up, If your will is struggling right now, you go, God, on the inside, I I can smile on the outside. I can come in and hallelujah everybody and woohoo, God's so good. Walk through the auditorium, walk through the lobby, high-fiving people, but on the inside, if your mind is fighting negativity all the time, if your mind is full of thoughts and conversations that somebody sowed in there years ago, you're no good. You're ugly. You're a reject. You're horrible. We didn't want you. You're a mistake. You're a failure. You're a loser. And those thoughts, those words are now in your head and they play over like, like on repeat. And they, they, they impact the way you see everything and the way you do everything. Maybe your emotions are messed up. Maybe somebody broke you. Maybe somebody hurt you. Maybe somebody lied to you. Maybe somebody betrayed you. Maybe somebody left you. Somebody abandoned you. And your emotions are messed up. Or maybe your will is messed up. 
Maybe it has nothing to do with anybody else. But you've adopted some pretty horrible habits. You've taken on some things that embarrass you. And you're like, Paul, the thing I want to do, I don't do. And the thing I don't want to do, I just keep doing. I have horrible habits that I need the Spirit of God to come and rescue me. I need to repent and be converted. That times refreshing would flow from the presence of the Lord. If that's you, I don't want you to leave here today without experiencing some level of ministry.